McCafe K-Cup Pods are bringing two tempting tastes right to your coffee cup only at Walmart. Classic French toast brings the best of breakfast to every sip with the comforting flavors of sweet maple syrup, buttery toast, and a dash of cinnamon. Baked apple pie honors the classic cafe dessert with the taste of crisp apple, buttery pie crust, and sweet cinnamon flavors. Brew them up with the new Cured K-Express Essentials Brewer. Whatever flavor you choose, you can't lose, so try them both. McCafe, available at Walmart. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row. Proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network. Verizon. Best and most reliable based on root metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined. Not specific to 5G networks. Life isn't fair, justice is blind and dysfunctional, and some cops aren't smart and dedicated, like on television. This is Who Killed Teresa. Said you took a big trip They said you moved away Happened all so quietly They say Should've took a picture Something I could keep I'm in, I guess this is day 12 of a 14-day quarantine in Atlantic Canada. Uh, I'll tell you why I'm here uh, a little later. Uh, but this story today has a, has a New Brunswick angle, so uh, we might as, uh, might as well tell it. I'll also say I'm not, I'm not in my studio. I'm actually in this uh, historic home. I guess it was, huh, sorry, <laughs> fire alarms. I guess it was built um, in the late uh, 1800s. Uh, everything in St. John, New Brunswick was kind of built after uh, 1877. There was, uh, a great fire in 1877 that basically burned down downtown St. John, the south end of St. John. Um, so everything here is after that. And I'm staying in, I guess it's a rooming house, you you would call it, in St. John. Um, so, uh, but I brought uh, a mobile unit. Um, but some of the background sounds um, maybe a little funky. Um, quality might not be as good as, as usual. Maybe it'll be better. Who knows? Oh, boy. There's, there's a 
there's a police crew outside and it's like six o'clock in the morning. This should be interesting. The lights are flashing. Uh, should I go investigate? No, I'll stay here. Uh, let's get let's get right to it. So the first half I'll I'll, I'll tell this um, this story that actually I've um, I've known about this for a long time, um, probably a decade now, and waiting for the right opportunity to tell it. It concerns both um, like nineteen seventy eight uh, eastern townships of Quebec and. Uh, coincidentally, uh, uh, New Brunswick, Canada, at the tail end. So, um, in uh, in in the book, "Wish You Were Here," uh, and this concerned a lot um, subject matter of the last podcast. Um, Patricia Pearson and I we um, we raised the question um, whether Luke Gregoire, the the offender with the violent criminal history in Sherbrooke, Sherbrooke, Quebec, who went on to murder in, in Calgary, um, was possibly uh, forced out of the Eastern Townships area. Uh, did, uh, did someone or some party decide that Gregoire was just too big a problem for Sherbrooke and push him out of town, um, leaving him to become someone else's problem? Um, and that's a very interesting question for any small region, right? You just sort of like, if you got a problem, just leave them, you know, at the gates of the city and, and hope they move on. Um, and, and very early on, I think one of the first book events we did um, was, at, um, was at Brome Lake Books uh, in Knowlton. And I began... Uh, that reading, uh, I guess, somewhat bizarrely, um, by uh, by reading an excerpt from the Sherbrooke Record newspaper, this small story that appeared in September 1978 um, that was a warning to parents and children to be vigilant in the wake of a series of indecent exposure incidents that occurred in the Lennoxville area in, in, in the fall of 19, in 1978. Uh, um, and, and as I say, it was sort of like a, a procure, precursor for everything that bad that followed. What, what, I, um, what I didn't uh, say about that um, was that um, it was um, it was written by a guy named Bill Morton, who at that time penned a weekly kind of talk of the town column for the record titled Crossroads. And uh, if you weren't at that event, you probably weren't. I'll just read it. Um, it's a very brief article that appeared in the record. Uh, it's called Lennoxville Crossroads by Bill Morton. Police patrol schools. Vigilance. After three incidents of indecent exposure, the Lennoxville police have set up surveillance of local schools. They are investigating any suspicious cars or persons in the area. Chief Hamel suggests parents teach their children these rules. 
stay away from strangers offering candy or rides in their car. Report anybody who acts strangely to you or their teacher immediately. Copy down the license plate number of any car they think is suspicious. If your child is involved in an incident, don't panic. Call the police. Listen to all your child has to say. And don't get angry. It's not the child's fault. He or she is the victim. You can help by keeping a close watch in your area and keep your notepad ready. Now, <laughs> as I said, so that was written by, by Bill, Bill Morton. And uh, Morton was an interesting township's character. Uh, he claimed to be, at that time, an ordained minister uh, though uh, in in the newspapers he only was ever referred to as Miss Mr. Morton, Mr. Morton. <laughs> uh, uh, during uh, during the day he studied uh, theology at Bishop's University in Lenoxville, and at night he worked at an institution for the mentally disabled near Dixville, Quebec, and that's about twenty kilometers directly south of uh of compton and uh i've compiled like a brief summary of bill morton's work in 1978 79 he only had the column crossroads for that year um and it was sort of every week uh you know as i say kind of talk of the town you know <clears throat> townshippers this is what's going on uh, <clears throat> But um, he had some interesting things to say that I'll kind of summarize uh, here. So uh, in, on, on, on October 4th, 1978, Bill's parting thought, uh, in quotes, was, the worst crook is the one who betrays our trust. So then, <laughs> that's interesting, Bill. Not sure why you're saying that, but there it is. Um, then, then, um, then on October twelfth, uh, which uh, co coincidentally was my sister's birthday, he writes. Bill writes. Note: I can see no good reason to abolish our police force to hire what would probably be a poorer quality protection. However. Some people might be afraid of what a police force dedicated to this town might dig up. Uh, and I don't know what Bill was driving at. Um, uh, <laughs> perhaps he knew something. Uh, would have been interesting for him to enlighten us. Uh, nevertheless, in, in December of 1978, so this is after my sister has disappeared but has not yet been found, he manages a brief address of Teresa's case. And he says, uh, In the fall, Champlain student Teresa Lore disappeared. Her parents still pray for her return, although police admit they're totally stymied. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> not going to offer a comment on police being stymied, but um, I think you know my thoughts and feelings on that one by this point. Um, uh, 
So then in January of 1979, commenting on uh, an annual town council open meeting, uh, Bill writes that uh, Alderman Robert Calder reported on the achievements of both the police and the fire department. All agreed that both departments were doing a fine job. So, so, now he's like toting the party line. Then in late February, uh, Bill pens a column railing against the perils of drugs and prostitution um, while praising the work of public safety. Through no fault of the police, he says, and uh, he's, he's, he's wildly uh, criticized for this, um, for this column uh, yeah, with uh, yeah, one letter to the editor accusing him of being, quote, a crackpot. By, by March of 1979, Bill is skipping columns. Um, and then in, in April 1979, so in the spring, he celebrates the first anniversary of his Crossroads column ending with this uh, anomina, uh, uh, ominous, excuse me, ominous proverb. He says, quote, A malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. And that is his uh, final crossroads column uh, until the event the event uh, which occurs on uh, April 27th, 1979. Um, for, context, for context, it's worth noting that my sister's body was found April 13th, 1979. Um, so on Friday, April 27th, 1979, Reverend Bill Morton attacked his supervisor at the Dixville home for the handicapped. And according to the victim's daughter, who related this story to me years later, Morton entered the kitchen of the facility clutching uh, a rolling pin behind his back. When the victim, his supervisor, asked what he was doing with the rolling pin, Bill replied he was going to bang apart some frozen orange juice in the freezer. When the woman turned to leave, Bill Morton grabbed her by the arm and said, I have to do this. He then beat her about the head with the rolling pin and began to strangle her until uh, until she was unconscious. <laughs> Mr. Morton with the rolling pin. <laughs> Mr. Morton with. Mr. Morton is the subject of the sentence, and what the rolling pin says, it does. <clears throat> oh, excuse me, my uh, alarm's going off. Uh, you know, this is this is the way it goes. 
Live. So yes, the tale of the tale of Bill Morton. Um, so um, uh, the 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 daughter of this woman who was attacked uh, recounted to me how uh, uh, the Sherbrooke Record wrote an article about this incident, but quote failed to identify Bill because they felt sympathetic to him. She goes on, what happened to my mother was brushed aside with a shrug. Oh, she'll get, she'll get over, she'll get over it. Um, prior to the attack, uh, Bill had actually uh, discussed my, uh, my sister Teresa's case with the supervisor he attacked. Um, Teresa, as I said, had only recently been found in a ditch in Compton. Um, and um, Bill's remark to the supervisor was that, uh, quote, she had probably deserved it, um, which surprised the woman as she was under the belief that he uh, was a minister and a religious uh, man. <clears throat> So, um, as I say, that story was related to me in an email years, years ago, and it, it's only through technology. Um, it's only been fairly recently that the Sherbrooke Record newspaper was offered online. Um, prior to a couple of years ago, I would have to go either to the Quebec Library in Montreal or to the archives in Sherbrooke in order to find microfiche copies of the uh, of the record, um, since it was online, it, uh, it's only very very recently, um, you know, after writing "Wish You Were Here," that I had the time to kind of go, "Oh yeah, that Morton thing." Didn't that woman reference an article? I wonder if I, I wonder if I could find that article that anonymously um, refers to Bill Norton. Doesn't. Morton doesn't directly address him. And sure enough, I tracked it down. Um, and um, it is a sight to behold. Um, it's authored by Jim Duff, um, a longtime reporter for the record, and then with the Montreal Gazette. Jim Duff currently is a municipal councillor for uh, Heights East, town of Hudson, Quebec. He's quite a prominent uh, uh, counselor. Uh, I, I believe we're Facebook friends um, uh, because um, years ago he told me um, how sorry he was for what, um, what had transpired with my, uh, with my sister. Um, and um, this article, far from being an account of a brutal attack on an unsuspecting victim. Uh, it is a cry for help plea for the perpetrator, for, for Bill Morton, and a complete defense of, um, of um, his actions. Uh, all of it protecting his identity, never disclosing his name. Duff begins the piece... Uh, and it's a very lengthy column titled Care for the Carers. It's about time. And I've po 
posted the full uh, article online. Um, and it begins something like this. It follows, it goes, it goes uh, a friend and former colleague of mine who works at a local home for the handicapped went berserk last week and attacked his supervisor. Duff goes on to say how Morton was charged with murder and taken to the psychiatric wing of the Sherbrooke Hospital to determine if he was mentally capable of standing trial. Uh, a, A friend of Morton summarizes the situation to the record this way. Um, and he's, he's identified blankly. So when you want to say, Mr. Morton, <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just a long line. So the long line just had a breakdown, said Vera Simmons, a close friend of the couple, asking that we keep names out of it. Their friends all know about it anyway. And it's no business of anybody else's. There should be more concern for people in a stressful kind of job. We can get together as a group of friends, but we wish there were some kind of structure, some kind of leader. The personnel director of the Dixville home for the... um, psychiatric, criminally insane. Um, I guess now we'd call it a wellness clinic. Uh, um, it sounds very much, uh, given Morton's situation, that the lunatic was in charge of the asylum. So the director of the place, uh, Tom Robinson, elaborates. He says, um, what sets a guy off suddenly? This isn't an easy job for somebody who is sensitive and gets involved with the kids. Um, I guess it was a juvenile psychiatric home. Um, His wife's pregnant, and I understand he's building a new house. He works nights to put himself through bishops. I believe he's interested in theology. He was taking on an awful lot. Concerning the victim, Robinson, the director of the Dixville home, uh, has this to say. We feel very strongly for him. But between him and his supervisor, his damages are more serious. Her cuts and bruises will heal in a month or two. But what he did will keep coming back for years. Indeed it will. Indeed it will, Mr. Robinson. (laughs) Um, And then we go back to Duff, to Jim Duff. Duff Duff continues. He says, um, While the supervisor collects workmen's compensation for suffering a job-induced injury, there's no such provision in Bill's case. But of course, Bill's not not identified. In Blank's case, yes, what about his compensation for the suffering he endured beating the woman with a rolling pin? 
Now, as I stated, uh, Morton was assessed uh, as to his mental faculties, his uh, ability to stand trial, but no trial appears to have ever taken place. There's never any mention of Bill Morton uh, in the eastern townships of Quebec, again, in the papers. Bill Morton simply disappears. And you might say, so what's the problem with that? It's different times. Uh, we weren't sensitive to victims back then. Uh, this guy had a, he had a bad spell. He's under stress. He tipped. His friends helped him. Good that things were kept quiet. Good that they kept his name out of the papers. They just took a problem and they made it go away. Well, that was the end of Sherbrooke's problem. But it wasn't the end of Bill Morton. See, Bill Morton moved on to another province, to New Brunswick. In November 2015, Morton, by then an actual ordained minister at Christ Church in St. Stephen, New Brunswick, assaulted a woman in his parish with whom he had been having a four-year extramarital affair, threatened with the termination of their relationship, Morton showed up at her home and cut her breasts and abdomen with a box cutter, ranting that he would, quote, skin her alive. Um, then came a second assault in December 2015, when Morton attacked her again and tried to slit her throat. Similar to the 1979 Sherbrooke incident, Morton was ordered to undergo a 30-day psychiatric assessment. He later pleaded not guilty in St. John Provincial Court to two counts of assault with a weapon, but later changed his plea to guilty. He was handed two 15-month conditional sentences, essentially a soft house arrest that stipulated he attend a rehabilitation program and counseling, abstain from alcohol, and report to a parole supervisor. His victim, Cynthia May Moore, eventually sued Morton, the Anglican Church of Canada, the Anglican Diocese of Fredericton, and the Anglican Parish of St. Stephen. Bill Morton's damage was more serious. He should have been confronted by the people of the Eastern Townships at the moment the problem presented itself so that one more woman wouldn't have to suffer abuse, intimidation, and violence.
Hate crimes are dangerous and insidious, but you have the power to help stop them. If you witness or experience a hate crime, a criminal offense motivated by race, religion, disability, sexual orientation, or other characteristics, you can report it to the FBI, who is committed to protecting communities and supporting victims. Submit a tip at 800-CALL-FBI or tips.fbi.gov. The FBI is here to help. Protecting our communities together. Report hate crimes. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks. is my, my father died so I, I had to come here and um, uh, when you do they immediately they, they, they take the current situation very very seriously as they should and they put you in quarantine uh, for 14 days which is very strange it's like being in a state of suspended animation before I, I can get out and uh, tend to my father's affairs and uh, yeah, you know be uh, be with uh, my my mother on a on, on a more long term basis uh, until Christmas, and and I wouldn't I wouldn't normally bring that up, you know, uh, the passing of my father's, you know, it's not the same as the death of Teresa, and in, in any respect, he lived a very long, uh, f- fulfilled life, in 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 some ways. <laughs> Uh, lived to 87, so uh, it's not really the subject of this, except in the sense that, uh, uh, you know, in thinking about it, my father does come up an awful lot in the podcast, so I should say a few things. Um, so as I say, you know, I, I drove up, um, this is my as my 12th day of, I'm losing count of quarantine, so almost two weeks ago, uh, from North Carolina, uh, up Highway 95, uh, at Bangor, Maine, 
you hang a you hang a right and uh, take Highway Nine, um, and the border is uh, is at Calais, Maine. You cross the river into Saint Stephen, New Brunswick. So Saint Stephen, where uh, Mister Morton, <laughs> you know that's the that's the second time Schoolhouse Rock has come up in, lately in this podcast. We had Figure Eight couple of weeks back and now we have the tale of Mr. Morton becoming a theme I won't let it um so St. Stephen and then and then St. John New Brunswick is about a, an hour drive from the main border and I'm I'm in a a, a rooming house here uh, old turn of the century house as I said uh overlooking uh, a great sense of humor here, overlooking the site of the old train station in St. John where I last saw my sister Teresa alive. So, uh, very good sense of humor. I do appreciate that. Um, uh, you, you know, that that um, uh, road, Highway 9, between... Bangor, Maine, and uh, the Canadian border. It's 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 a very long, I think, hour and a half drive. It's an old logging road. Uh, I was thinking driving in a lot of a lot of history on that road. Um, I've driven a lot of times. Um, it certainly would have been the route we took when we uh, my parents dropped me in a car and we drove to Sherbrooke after Teresa disappeared. That would have been the way we went. Uh, I remember driving it with John Slattery when we went to see David Bowie, uh, the Let's Dance tour at the Montreal Forum. That's how we got there from St. John. Um, and then uh, later, certainly when I was living in the United States, uh, uh, sometimes in order to avoid uh, uh, expensive airfare, uh, international fares rather than flying in for Christmas and the holidays uh, to Toronto, then St. John. You'd fly to Bangor from Los Angeles or Houston, uh, New York, uh, and my dad would pick me up at the Bangor airport, and then we'd take that long drive to St. John. Certainly done that. And then later, I mean, as, as recently, the last time I was here was two years ago, um, Flew, I flew into Bangor. I rented a car, Banger. Uh, <laughs> if you go for nah, nah, it's Banger. <laughs> How's that joke go? Oh, it's a little joke about Banger, Maine. Uh, no, 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 we're just friends. <laughs> uh, um, anyway, uh, that, that, yeah, I rented a car. I drove in. Um, Patricia Pearson met me here. And uh, that was that was two years ago. They did it. My mom did an interview with my uh, or with Patricia for the book, um, and we were here for about three days. Uh, the last time I saw my father um, was the eve of the Quebec election. There, when uh, watching the returns, when when Legault uh, won. I remember staying up late with him and then leaving the next morning. That's the last time I, I saw him. Uh, 
he uh, he got sick and was hospitalized just before uh, Wish You Were Here was published and then uh, died on November 10th uh, in the St. John Hospital. I, I was not here for that. My brother was at his side and held his hand uh, until, until he passed. Um, you know, a lot of people have said, um, you know, like, he, he, he must have been so proud of you and, and, you know, the book and all that. It, it, that's not the case at all. You know, that, um, you know, the writing of that book was not, <laughs> it was by no means my lifelong achievement. It certainly wasn't his. Uh, I don't think he was even aware of the book. I, I certainly didn't give it to him. Um, there, for, there was a time, there was a period there where my parents, both my mom and dad, were very generous in sharing their experience back from 1978. Um, but as I think I've said before, I have all of my dad's notes. I certainly didn't need to repeatedly grill and traumatize him over those events. And in the final, say, five to ten years of his life, we barely spoke about it. I, um, I refused to. And I certainly wasn't going to give him a catalog of what was daily going on in the publishing world or, you know, any of that. Um, in the final year, I, I I don't think he was aware that by you know at one point he was aware he was writing a book. I don't, yeah, but in the end he wasn't aware of it, um, and nor was I going to bother him with it. Uh, that uh, I mean I've sort of said that he lived that experience. He certainly neither of my parents needed to read that. Uh, you know that's that's the stuff of like a really cheap and bad. Uh, made-for-TV movie. That's not reality uh, in any way. So, um, in fact, for his birthday, um, somebody said, you must have given him your book. No, I didn't give him my book. <laughs> yeah, you out of your mind? What kind of a gift is that? I gave him a Louise Penny novel, Bury Your Dead. If you don't know Louise Penny, she's detective... Right, Canadian writer, uh, but internationally famous um, creator of Chief Inspector Armand uh, Gamache of the Sartre du Québec, uh, actually. Um, and when I first became aware of Louise Penny, it was with a great deal of hostility uh, because uh, he's He's like this uh, hero cop, you know, in the mold of uh, Auguste Dupin, is that his name, in the Murders of Rue Morgue, Poe, Edgar Allan Poe. He's in that mold, or Hercule Poirot, um, you know, always solves the crime, this kind of stuff. And so, as you can imagine, my my immediate reaction before reading it to any Louise Penny novel was that this was this <laughs> truly the stuff of fiction. I never knew a Sarté du Québec detective, anything like that, with that degree of uh, 
resolve and integrity. Um, nevertheless, I read Bury Your Dead, which um, is sort of set while uh, Gamache is convalescing in Quebec City and um, works on solving the case of uh, uh, what happened to the remains of uh, Champlain, right? Samuel Champlain, where, where were his remains buried? And uh, I, um, against um, my uh, demons, I really liked it. Uh, in fact, I still like Louise Penny a lot. Um, so I am um, for his birthday, I gave him Bur Bury Your Dead. I thought he would really like it. Uh, he never got to read it. He got too sick too quickly. Um, but <laughs> as fate would have it, my mom is reading it now. So um, I will go over each morning um, and we will sit at like a 10-foot distance from each other in the lobby of her, uh, of, of, of her condo building with masks on and talk about things and she'll talk about where she is in the book and how much she's enjoying it and yes it's ironic that she would enjoy she says uh, a book about this this great Sûreté <laughs> de Quebec uh, detective but um, I mean there it is there uh, there it is so the uh, the other interesting thing you know um when I got here, because in quarantine there's 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 limited choices of what to do. You 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 can't you can go out in public, but you you can't interact in public. You, you can't go into any building. Uh, you know you can't shop. I can't go to the St. John Market. Can't go to any retail establishment. Um, I've likened it to you know. You sort of wander the streets when no one is around, typically, you know, in the, at dawn or dusk, just sort of peering into windows and things, kind of like a ghost roaming the city of St. John. <laughs> Very strange. Um, uh, but with limited choices, uh, you begin to focus on, um, you know, the natural landscape. Uh, and, and one of the places I love here is the... Uh, Irving Park, uh, sometimes called the Irving Nature Preserve. It's a large park uh, on the west side of town that the Irving family um, donated to the city. Uh, it managed to save one tract of lumber for the people while cutting all the others down. I'm sorry, it's a cheap shot at the Irvings, but... Um, uh, and it's it, it's a beautiful park, uh, you know, with all kinds of uh, walking paths right on the ocean, right on the Bay of Funday, um, and uh, um, I've been there before. I've been there with my kids and that, and uh, you know, as I say, my brother was here just before me, and he was like, "You got to get out there," and uh, <clears throat> so immediately. Uh, you know, in order to keep one occupied, try to find the, I brought a mountain bike, so try to find the most expedient and efficient way of cycling there, which is not easy. 
uh, St. John given urban renewal like a lot of cities from the 50s. It's bifurcated in many places by highways. Um, so, so cycling there is not and not not a bike friendly culture by any means. Uh, but nevertheless, I did manage to find the most you know efficient, road friendly way to get to the park, um, which I think is um, was it about a ten kilometer ride away? It's not bad, but in, in, in order to get there, just so you know, you need to. Um, so, so there's a Harborfront Trail, the Green Trail that you can follow. Then you go past, uh, like the Steelworks, um, up to the Reversing Falls Bridge. Uh, uh, Reversing Falls, the eighth wonder of the world, according to um, anyone in the Maritimes. You cross the bridge, and at the bridge, you hang a left at Sims Corner. Sims Corner, the most dangerous traffic corner uh, in St. John. One of the most dangerous anywhere. You take your life in your hand. It's right by um, the pulp and paper mill. Um, also, of course, owned by the Irving family. Um, I mean, everything here is owned by the Irvings. The oil refinery, right? the docks. Uh, it's, you know, it's an industrial town. Um, um, and so you, you, you hang a left and right where the reversing falls pulp and paper mill is. And, and there's a, there's a hill there. There's a, there's a lookout, um, that, um, is interesting. We'll get back to, to that. You cross highway one. And then I found a place it's called Sandy Cove road that kind of winds until you get to the Irving Park. And uh, along Sandy Cove Road, which begins suburban and gets increasingly rural, then turns slightly industrial, then there's cemeteries out there overlooking the coast, right? And then along beach and then, and then the park. And um, so a lot of curiosities along the way. And, and one of the things that struck me is there's there's like uh, on on the side of the road not facing the ocean there's an obelisk in in, in an open uh, field with what looks like tombstones around it so and, and a marker so on one of the occasions I, I I rode out there I said well I wonder what this is so I go and look and and it states that it's this is the burial grounds um, for the site of um, the former residence of the provincial hospital. And whenever you read something like provincial hospital, you realize that that's that's code for something. Immediately, I thought, well, that's that that's code for the loony bin. It certainly is. <laughs> it certainly is. Uh, uh, so the the psychiatric hospital, um, and this is a geography lesson that uh, a podcast will not do this justice. And I may do a little movie of this to kind of because it's it's kind of funny and weird. Um, so so this this was the burial ground for this psychiatric hospital. 
which used to be located on that hill uh, at Sims Corner, Reversing Falls. It was a massive psychiatric hospital there at one time or another. I mean, I was there when I was was little. Uh, later became known as uh, Centricare. It um, eventually became run down, and they moved Centricare further out um, um, around, uh, what is that, behind Manawaganish Road is where Centricare is now. But it, it had all the trimmings of a, of a crazy lunatic asylum. I mean, the stories of it being haunted and ghosts and all of that when I was a kid were, were well known. Um, but the, the, the plot out on uh, Sandy Cove Road, I learned, was the, the loony bins. And you know what? I'm not going to be politically correct. I'm just going to use the terminology of the time because that's what they called it at the time, the lunatic asylum. Um, so that was known as the Annex. So they had a farm out there for about 300 inmates because it was overflowing. I think at one time it held 1,500 people, uh, some of whom were needed psychiatric care, some of whom were, as you would imagine, were just criminals. You know, the women mixed with the men, uh, children mixed with adults, and you can just imagine. And uh, what's left of the... So they had this farm out there um, where they, you know, good intentions grew their own vegetables and produce and things like this, which supplied the main hospital. Um, but what remains is interesting. Uh, all of the markers that are left um, were made of wood, you know, very, very primitive um, uh, markings uh, where some inmates uh, were laid to rest um, out there. And then, so this got me thinking, I... Um, started to explore the region and found across the street from it is uh, this big green barn also owned by the Irvings. It's where they keep some of their general services vehicles and stuff. Uh, and behind the barn are all these large stone uh, foundations uh, of a building and I was like well what the hell is this um I mean just strewn everywhere uh and at one point I'm, I'm like scavenging around and uh came across in the forest like a the stone of a gargoyle it's like ah, you know it was like it was like Sulla in in Raiders of the Lost Ark right when he takes the torch and he looks in the hole and ah! You know, it was a real solo moment to see this thing. Uh, uh, and I sort of mentioned this online. I started feeling like Emily Thompson. Those of you who know Emily, who is is Irish and has the podcast Morbidology, um, and is quite an explorer of um, old buildings and stuff. I think she's been to Chernobyl. She goes everywhere. She's one of those people, right? Um, <laughs> um fascinating i started feeling like emily thompson you know poking around in these remains and come to find that that's the old custom house um 
that they, when they tore it down, it used to be in downtown St. John, they tore it down um, and just carted it off here to, uh, to uh, Sandy Cove Road and dumped it, uh, dumped all these remains. That's, you know, I'd be cynical and say that's how St. John takes care of its cultural heritage, but that's, that's being unkind. St. John for um, a, a not affluent city has done a pretty amazing job of preserving a lot of its heritage. So uh, for whatever reason, they thought to take down the custom house which is, you know, when, when you landed on a boat, you'd clear customs, obviously. It's right on the, on the wharf. You'd come to the custom house. Pictures of it, a beautiful little building, I think, behind St. John High. Uh, was taken down, I think, in the 1920s, 1930s. So it's there. Come to find that the old jail is not there. It's, it's the remains of the old jail are up um, at an old dump. Uh, near where I'm staying, so there's all these all these curiosities, um, and then I I, I sort of said uh, you know coming in on Sandy Cove Road, part of it is industrialized, and there's there's a facility out there that I, I don't know was really kind of kind of curious to me. I, I um, couldn't couldn't quite figure it out it looked kind of I don't know kind of modern and I was like well what is this thing what is this thing now it has a weird name today I'm trying to find it what's it called uh it, oh it's it's called the Maritime Opportunity Center and there's all kinds of things in there uh from uh I think a doggy dare daycare to storage facility. And it's, it's this huge complex. It looks like from the sixties. Well, that was the old, uh, juvenile psychiatric hospital. Um, <laughs> you know, so this is, this is Looney Ben Row, uh, Sandy, Sandy Cove Road, uh, to say the least. Um, Julia Wright, who, who uh, is a reporter with CBC St. John, did a, did an article, and I know this because I've been in quarantine, so I've had the opportunity to read everything in the last 10 to 12 days. She wrote an article for Vice magazine called uh, Eerie Photos from Inside a Former Children's Psychiatric Hospital. Some claim the former hospital, with its history of abuse and neglect, is haunted. Others think it's a great place for a doggy day daycare. <laughs> and the place does look, you know, creepy as hell. Definitely. So, you know, this got me on, uh, you know, a whole tangent, as, as you would believe, of uh, psychiatric care and uh, uh, loony bins, right? Insane asylums, which is where we started with Bill Morton, working at the facility in Dixville. Uh, ironically, um, but then I began to do a little research, uh, and, uh, and found that, um, neither this juvenile facility, um, nor the facility at Sims Corner were 
the original psychiatric hospital. There was an original uh, madhouse in St. John, New Brunswick. Um, and it was actually, it was a former, um, I wouldn't call it army barracks, but it's, it's where you, you house troops for a while. Um, built, uh, I believe, in 1834, the 1830s. Uh, and I found it, it was built at the corner of Leinster Street and Wentworth. Um, and uh, so I went to Leinster Street and Wentworth. Uh, the original building wouldn't be there because it's built in the 1830s. Great Fire of St. John happened in 1877, so all of it would have burnt down. Um, but at that corner, there is now uh, is a beautiful old building from 1899, which is now the Jewish Museum of St. John. When, when I lived there, it was a funeral parlor. And then across the street from it used to be an old Gothic cathedral, um, also from the 1800 post-fire. That has since been torn down, and they're turning it into some condos. But um, I bring up the corner of Wentworth and Leinster uh, because I grew up on Leinster. <laughs> in, in fact, the site of the original uh, um, lunatic asylum in St. John is two and a half houses up from my house. 112 Leinster Street. Uh, so there you go. You, we come, we come full circle, uh, <laughs> full circle on 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 my exploratory quarantine journey into St. John's past. Uh, you know, the other thing I'll, I'll bring up is um, from well from from the South End in St. John. Uh, certainly from, uh, from Sandy Cove Road, if you look out into the Bay of Funday, you can see Partridge Island. Uh, there's a brick wall that kind of connects it, but you're not allowed out there anymore. Uh, Partridge Island was the, the internment center for immigrants to St. John. Um, uh, most notably uh, during the the famines in Ireland, um, 1840s to the 50s, uh, it, a lot of Irish were interned on Partridge Island uh, and died died there uh, um, due to famine and cholera, etc. Um, um, so you can see uh, Partridge Island, Irish. Um, my mom's people are from Northern Ireland, but um, would have come over pre-famine. Well, I think there was always a famine. They would have come over in the 20s and 30s, and I don't think they came to St. John. I think they went directly to Quebec and then to Southern Ontario. But um, certainly... You know, it certainly got me thinking about, again, about Emily Thompson, who is Irish, uh, and uh, perhaps some of her ancestors ended up in St. John, New Brunswick. Who knows? Who knows the connections uh, that are uh, 
possible. Um, I'll share I'll share one story about my dad, uh, a funny story because my uh, you know as I say I uh, I, I didn't and I, I didn't really ever talk to my dad about tragedy uh, except for a very concentrated period. We mostly talked about um, on Sundays. I phone him every Sunday. Uh, we talk about sports and you know easy politics and stuff like that. Um, but my my dad was um, was an engineer uh, all his life. Um, he actually came to St. John because he was a construction manager for the Point La Pro nuclear power station. Um, I used to kind of joke he was Homer Simpson. He was, he, that's really unfair. He was the construction manager. Um, he was much, much more than Homer Simpson. Uh, but I brought up the pulp and paper mill for anyone who has grown up in a town with a pulp and paper mill. I'm thinking Elmer, Quebec. I'm, I'm thinking Cornwall, Ontario. Um, the, the stench is quite overwhelming, um, and has always been, uh, an obstacle to these facilities. And, and one time in St. John, they got a bunch of experts and engineers uh, together in a room, including my father, to somehow perhaps resolve the, the problem of the, uh, of the smell that emulated from the St. John pulp and paper mill, the Irving pulp and paper mill. And so there's a bunch of them uh, around this boardroom table brainstorming. And uh, at one point, um, a woman suggests, she says, uh, what about this? What if you took um, like a large industrial-sized uh, hose or tubing and rather than the smoke and the smell uh, emulating into the atmosphere, you detoured it and funneled it directly into the St. John River. Um, and, and so all that exhaust would go into the water as opposed as into the air. Um, and at this point... Um, one of the mucky mucks in the room uh, interjected, Madam, have you ever tried to fart in a bathtub in order to disguise the smell? <laughs> that, that, is, uh, that is one of my favorite uh, stories from my father. <laughs> From his engineering days, most uh, most definitely. Um, so, uh, story of Bill Morton, and then some thoughts on uh, my father, Saint John. I'll uh, I'll end with this. Uh, we. Uh, one point we're talking about the author Louise Penny. Um, uh, as I said, Louise Penny is very, very well known. You may not know her, but uh, 
you know, she's one of these authors that, you know, once the book clubs key into your works, that's it. You're set for life. And every book club has keyed in. Well, my mom is keyed in, right? She's now, she's telling me daily what's going on. It's very, it's, it's great. It's great writing. It's great storytelling. Um, and, um, so pre COVID, um, uh, I was doing the rounds in, um, you know, in, uh, in North Carolina, in the, in the Raleigh-Durham region of the independent bookstores. I was going to readings and, and things like that. And uh, um, I, I went to a reading, uh, the guy, is it David Zuccario? I'm pronouncing it wrong. The, the author of Wilmington's Lie, the book about the Wilmington Massacre. I went to a, a, a reading of his at uh, McIntyre Books outside of Chapel Hill. And it was actually, it was a whole festival that was going on. And, uh, you know, there's a, there was a large, uh, you know, there's photos or, or, you know, those kind of drawings of authors all around this big, big room where they have readings. And one of them was of Louise Penny. And I'm mingling and I'm talking to people and, um, you know, it, it comes out that I'm from Quebec and, uh, and there's, you know, a bunch of these women who kind of look like, I don't know, Mrs. Marpole or something, you know. And so they get very, very interested that I I, I, I grew up in Quebec. And they oh, do you know Louise Penny? And, you, you know, you, you don't. Um, I don't know Louise Penny, but, um, oh, did uh, have you been to Three Pines? Um, Three Pines is like this fictional little village in the Eastern Townships. Uh, it stands in, in in her novels for Knowlton, Quebec, actually. And uh, 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 and and the look of disappointment on their face when, when I said I, I was from Quebec and, you know, actually didn't know Louise and uh, had never been to Three Pines um, uh, was kind of devastating. No, I didn't know Armand Gamache personally because he doesn't exist. Uh, but eventually, you know, you begin to think, well, you know, why not give him a thrill? And <laughs> why not just go along with it? Right? Oh, no, of course I know her, you know. Yeah, yeah she's my aunt, right? Um, Three Pines is actually where, you know, where my sister died. And in fact, she wrote a novel about it. It's a no There's a novelized version of the death of Teresa Allure. Right. Let me give him a thrill. Why not? Why not? Right. <laughs> uh, it reminds me a uh, uh, number of years ago, my uh, my my ex-wife, uh, Elizabeth's father died. Her father died in a, in a very tragic accident. Um, and I was at the wake at this church in Chapel Hill. Um and because I was the ex-husband and because I was there, a lot of people didn't know who I was. I was. Um, you know, and I was standing with Elizabeth and with our children, you know, as I would be. Um, so a lot of people came up, um, you know, and, and saw me there and didn't know who I was. So they just assumed um, that, I was, uh, that I was Elizabeth's uh, brother. They were like, oh, you must be Ted. 
And then when I, you know, I told them, no, I'm not Ted. Um, I'm, I'm Elizabeth's ex-husband, you know. Immediately the stink eye, right? Immediately, you know, the conversation would drop. Um, people would still, you know, look awkwardly at their, their serviettes, you know say they have to go and get some more punch. <laughs> and it just became, uh, it be, this is true, it became so unbearably awful that, you know, by this third time when somebody said, oh, you must be Ted, I just said, yeah, yeah, I'm Ted. No, I'm Ted and, and, and these are my nieces. Uh, nice to meet you. Thank you. Yeah, um, it's very sad. Sorry for the loss of my father. Uh, he was a great man. He was a great man. It was great having him as a dad. Um, thank you for your condolences. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Tom. I'm heading to Walmart because you know what season it is. Oh, is it pumpkin spice season? Uh, no, it's flu season. And Walmart gives flu shots. Yes, flu season is here and we've got your back with flu shots where you already shop. Our expert pharmacy team administers each flu shot and can answer your vaccine questions. Stay safe this flu season. Stop by your local Walmart pharmacy and get your flu shot today. You gotta laugh. This is who killed Teresa. If you like the podcast, uh, please uh, give us a, um, a good rating on, I don't know, I'm so over this shit of marketing. <laughs> uh, if you like it, um, there's a website. Uh, that's maybe the most important thing, TheresaLore.com, T-H-E-R-E-S-A-A-L-L-O-R-E, point com, point com. Um, uh, that's where I'll put the full articles, um, the very extensive articles on uh, Bill Morton from the Sherbrooke record. That's uh, kind of the only visual content I have for today. If you go to the website, you can find out where to find other things on social media. I'll, ju I'll just say that. Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. There's... Um, there's a couple of things coming up that I should uh, mention uh, this week. This is uh, uh, this is Thanksgiving week in the United States. Uh, although, who gives a shit? Because I'm in Canada. Uh, I never really care for the holiday anyway, personally. Um, but um, I think today, actually this day, there's an article coming out in the St. John paper, the Telegraph Journal. Uh, there's a piece I wrote for the for the Sherbrooke Record actually, coming out either tomorrow or Friday, uh, and then tomorrow, um, I'm speaking with a reporter uh, from La Presse in in Quebec, La Presse a newspaper, French newspaper, to hopefully um, build some traction for uh, Wish You Were Here in uh, in uh, Quebec. Uh, uh, French press, which will be a good thing. I think that's the first article uh, uh, in the French press. Uh, these, th these things take a long time. Um, take a very, very long time. <laughs>
that's all uh, for this time. This is uh, Who Killed Teresa. I'm the host, John Elor. Have yourselves a great, great day. Come blow me away. I don't care much. I win anyway. Just a dog. Talk in the night There's oil on my hands While the dark All dog is cool and smart Smart time breaks the heart Full dark bombs the moon Devil in the marketplace Devil in your bleeding face Full dark bombs the moon What a dark
I'm Katie Grossman, the ultra marathon runner sponsored by New Balance. I'm also a creative professional, wife, and mom. Life has gotten crazy, especially after battling a tumor, but running still improves my life, both physically and mentally. Go beyond the run at newbalance.com. We did it again. Verizon was just named America's most reliable network by Root Metrics for the 16th time in a row, proving once again that nobody builds networks like Verizon builds networks. That's why we're building 5G right. That's why there's only one best network Verizon. Best and most reliable based on Root Metrics reports from second half 2013 to first half 2021 of three operators on all network types combined, not specific to 5G networks.